If you're listening to this episode, then you probably have kids who love reading and love travel. If so, then you're probably also going to love Wild Words Festival. Taking place this Jubilee weekend in a beautiful field in South Hertfordshire, Wild Words Festival is a literary festival for the entire family. We have an exciting programme for adults and kids alike, plus some family events you can enjoy together. Why not join us and take 10% off your ticket price with the code NONFICPOD, that's N-O-N-F-I-C-P-O-D. Just put that in the checkout at wildwordsfest.eventbrite.com. We hope to see you there. Welcome to an extremely special version of Non-Fic Pod. Today we're dipping our toes into a little bit of fiction, in that there are two characters who we're going to meet, Lucy and Tom, who don't actually exist. Lucy and Tom are the creations of Karen Beddo and Lindsay McCauley. Karen is behind the amazing resource for all parents called Mini Travellers, and she joins us here today on Non-Fic Pod. Hello, Karen. Hello, thank you very much for having me. I have in front of me your two utterly gorgeous, extraordinary travellers books. And my kids are slightly on the young end for these, but are absolutely loving them. For anyone who who cannot see what I'm holding in my hands, I'll put pictures on our website. Um, what? Who are the extraordinary travellers? Well, the extraordinary travellers are perhaps an extension of me and my own family, really, as um, my website and my blog is, of course, called Mini Travellers. And um, so we created the extraordinary travellers and the uh, a family who want to explore and solve adventures. And they want to they do it in a little bit of a magical way, but they do it in real places. So the first of our books is set in France and the second of our books is set in Spain. As someone who, whenever I go on holiday, I pack a lonely planet, but I always pack something that is either set in that city. Um, how, how is this as kind of a travel book for kids or for families? I mean, the idea actually came about when um, I was travelling to Africa with my children and we took them on a quite exciting trip to Rwanda when they were six and five, actually. And I spent quite a lot of time trying to look for some books in, um, in Waterstones at the time for books that were set in Africa, because I didn't want a book, an adult book about Africa. I was reading lots of books about Rwanda. I didn't really want them to read those kind of books at that time. Um, But actually, I was looking for something that would um, depict how life was and just little bits about the African continent. I really, really struggled to find something. I mean, I actually think now in 2022, there's been a real push in the last few years for some significantly better children's literature around different countries and different areas but and I perhaps might not struggle quite as much now about that but there really wasn't anything and there wasn't anything apart from the children's kind of I spy book and then the adults book there wasn't really anything in the middle so we went on our Africa trip and obviously didn't quite get around to to doing anything about it at that point but when I came back the idea had been lodged in my brain about actually creating a book for children between 
what my children were going to be by the time I got round to it, but eight and 11. And um, a, a book that sort of steps in the middle, really, a book that, that children can read that helps them find out a little bit about the country that they might be going to visit and, um, and learn a little bit of the language and a little bit about the foods and a little bit about the places. And to be honest, the other reason was because I'd got a little bit sick of reading books about unicorns and fairies and, um, and, and, and I'd had enough about unicorns and fairies. Yeah. And I thought there had to be something else that my children could be reading. So the idea came about. And, you know, when you're talking to publishers and when you're talking to people about selling a book, a book about children from the UK traveling to Africa isn't really a very inviting prospect um, on the basis that not many people do it. So we did a bit more research and we thought about it properly. And our first book set in France, because um, that is the place that the majority of British tourists go to as their first kind of holiday out of the UK. Well, reading it together with my children, the the first of the two, which is uh, essentially the Eiffel Tower goes missing. Um, I really enjoy reading this with my kids because it's helping them to reminisce about the the trip that we had to Paris in, oh gosh, seems like forever ago now. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I, I really appreciate about this is that it has that sense of adventure and story to keep kids gripped they're, they're not at a stage of wanting to just absorb a lot of facts but you manage to weave in so much useful vocabulary so many useful places did you start with the story and then fit the places to that did you have a list of interesting places and and things that you wanted to include and fit a story around that or is it a bit of a mix of the both it was a little bit of a mix of both but I think in reality we started with the places and the things that we wanted to include we thought about the things in France that actually might excite and um, and that children might know about and we moved away from the the obvious uh, possibly missing item from um, the book which is there's no reference to Disneyland Paris <laughs> in this book um, but um, but actually we we did think about all the exciting places and all the different places in France that we'd like to include and the places that we that people might visit as well and um, and then we we thought about the ideas and we, obviously some of them had to be changed around. For those of you that haven't got the copy in front of you, uh, the book's called The Little Museum. And the idea is that the thief in the little museum is stealing large French things to put in her little museum. And uh, the first thing she tries to steal is the Eiffel Tower, but she also steals things like Mont Blanc and uh, an enormous Airbus and a variety of other French <laughs> things. Um, there's also a scene on the Tour de France. So, um, yeah, there's been a little bit of um, there's been a little bit of twisting around with um, what we wanted to steal and what we didn't. But we did start with the places and the things. But then we also put together a list of things that should be in the book. So we put together a list of things to do with numbers and food and animals and things like that, and then worked backwards to see where we could twist those. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's seen my own kids having an absolute the joy of being able to use a little bit of French or most recently a little bit of Greek, even if it's the please and thank yous and the way that people respond 
to children with such encouragement you know even if you're not confident teaching your kids how to speak a little bit of French or a little bit of Spanish there are some very useful phrases in here even just the pleases and thank yous and I know my own love of learning foreign languages started with you know visits when I was a small child and and somebody go oh learn some French even though you're very small so yeah I hugely think uh, recommend this as a an addition to um, your you know your travel that, that uh, yeah help kids enjoy being immersed in that culture uh, what is it about travel that is so valuable for our children to experience oh I, I, I don't know I, I always I can never ever sort of know where to start with this it's just I just think it's it's fundamental. And I, I don't even think it's fundamental that they travel to different countries. I think the the fundamental part of travel for me is those moments that you spend all together as a family or with friends or with the extended family. Just having those off grid, I think, moments for me where you're actually just all together doing something completely different. And whether that's putting up a tent in the pouring down rain, um, which I imagine a lot of us have done, or, or putting it down, they both um, they both have the same emotions <laughs> attached to them. The children don't. The children at the time, you know, are, are not happy, but they all laugh about them and they all remember them. And they're bits that are just etched into our memories. I was listening to a travel um, podcast, or a writer actually doing an audio book the other day, and um, she said that how you know during lockdown they started so many of their stories with, "Do you remember when we did? Do you remember when we did this?" And I think for me, those are the that's the such the important thing about traveling with your children that they they do remember those different moments and they do remember those different times together and we start so many conversations as like do you remember when we did this and I feel like the children learn so much from it they learn a sense of independence that they perhaps don't get at home when things happen in the usual way where mum or dad does everything just to get things done and get it out of the house my daughter remembers very much going to a French campsite shop when we were in France a couple of years ago. They remember those times when they're sent to the bar to buy their own drinks and order their own things. And they remember just that bit more sense of freedom when you're staying places where there's just not quite so many people and they can have a bit more space. So for me, it's, I mean, for what we do and how we live our life, it's pretty essential to to our, our makeup. And we will put aside a lot of other things in order to do that but I don't think it has to be the big thing I think it can be the smallest thing of all spending time together yeah I remember as a kid the Blackpool the Blackpool lights and things like that and fish and chips and seagulls eating the fish and chips and those memories are still there and and you know I hope that those memories will still be with our children Uh, Blackpool illuminations bringing back some very very strong memories for me there (laughs) I think there's as well there is something wonderful about traveling somewhere that is new to both you and your children you know no matter whether it's in the UK or outside um, where you can discover things together and that's something else I think is so wonderful about these books it's giving your kids my kids their own lens their own flavour of the country that they can then bring to us was that in mind as you were writing those 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think that the children think about different things when they're um, when they're discovering a city anyway. And actually, interestingly, the the third book we're hoping is going to be set in Italy. And we were um, I was travelled to Italy in October with the children. We went to Rome. And um, as we were going around doing a, a tour of the Vatican, there's lots of keys in the Vatican. And one of the things that's, that's the sign of the Vatican and the, the, the guide we had was asking the children to find them all. And the girls made up this magical story whilst we're traveling around the Vatican about these keys and about how they could be discovered. And they basically started writing the, the third of the, of the books. And um, I've got loads of notes actually written down from our trip. But I think that's the thing about the, about kids is that they make things a slight, you know, they're just more magical and they, and they are so enthusiastic about things that we're not enthusiastic about. So you see it in a totally different way. They may be less enthusiastic about some of the things that we're also enthusiastic about. But, you know, I think that's kind of the, uh, the way it works, really. You definitely get a slightly more magical and mystery, mystery element from travelling with them. You never quite Paris. know what they're going to say. <laughs> no, Paris was definitely a different city with a five-year-old and a seven-year-old than it was, yes. you know, myself as like a 27-year-old. It was, yeah, yeah and <laughs> very magical. Because the challenge that you've had is that, and we talked about this sometimes on the podcast, the distinction between fiction and nonfiction, between taking some material from life and telling a really good story, it's more of a continuum than a distinction. What sort of challenges did you face as you were getting these books off the ground? Yeah, so actually, we we um, I don't know if we've said we haven't said this yet, but we um, we ultimately self published um, these books. So um, because we went quite a long way down the line with um, a publishing company, to the extent that we were, I think, just about to sign a contract for a seven book deal, which was incredibly exciting, and it was them that were actually pushing the language element in the books but then all of a sudden their uh, marketing team said that they didn't know which shelf in the bookshop um, the book would sit on whether it would sit on the fiction shelf or the non-fiction shelf to which I did slightly raise my eyebrows to that on the basis that there is a shrinking machine and they steal the Eiffel Tower in in the first (laughs) book and I didn't really think that that could ever be a non-fictional book <laughs> but I, I tried to keep my surprise at this conversation intact and suggested that perhaps if they were a little bit unsure about which shelf it could sit on that perhaps it could sit on both <laughs> and um and that actually if um if they weren't sure because there wasn't a book like this around for children that sort of married both angles and gave them a little bit of non-fiction with some fiction that perhaps that was a good thing and that actually that might be a um a gap in the market and something that that we might be able to use but sadly it wasn't to be with that company um but actually as a result of the enthusiasm that had come through from the rest of the publishing house and the people that we'd been working with uh, we decided to publish um, and, um, and and get it out there ourselves uh, mainly because i have a um, an audience anyway through the website and um, and also um i can sell it i can sell it um on my website as well as um through 
places like Amazon that take £47 million from you before you've earned anything else. <laughs> I think oh. if I sell my book on Amazon, I might get I might get 10% of the of the actual price. It's it's mm-hmm. but um and then it is now stocked in lots of bookshops because they they stocked have stocked it from us. So um yeah. it's um it's been a slight challenge, the fiction, non-fiction. Yeah. I mean I even within non-fiction, my my most recent one, How to Build a Human, it's like, should it be in the science one? Should it be in the parenting one? And different bookshops do put it in different places. Um, but it does, yeah, it does make it very difficult to to market. Um, whereas swearing is good for you is uh, a lot easier to market. <laughs> <laughs> so you've gone down the, the self-publishing route. What are the various publishing functions? I mean, you mentioned yourself, you are your own sales department you're getting your book out there into bookshops what are the functions of the publishing house have you had to either learn or or subcontract out in order to do self-publishing yeah so Lindsay and I um are were you know we initially were our own um, proofreaders in a sense because actually we um we had our us each other to um to to work through those ideas with and, you know, from as I was talking, I was in school doing a book reading yesterday, actually. And I was just saying, you know, your teachers tell you to read it and read it and read it again. And, and then they came, then they tell you to read it again and check it again. And uh, it, it, that continues into into book into book writing. Um, you know, we we got quite a long way into thinking we had a finished uh, product with the first book and realized that we'd put the age of the of the uh, of Lucy at, at different ages at the beginning of the book as we had at the end and little things like that are things that children actually notice straight away but so proofreading initially was something that the, the pair of us did we had to outsource the illustrations and we had to find somebody who could do the illustrations in a way that we um, could a afford but also that we um, enjoyed and that we thought worked um it's not quite as simple as um, then it has to, we we chose to actually send this off to a, a publishing house effectively. Um, so not a, not a sort of, a house that do self-publishing books. And they do the amazing job of actually putting it all together and setting it out and making sure that things go on the right pages and that some of the, the drawings in the book cross over the pages and they've made, they made it look beautiful. So, um, but they also did an extra proofreading job. Excellent. So um, that was that was good, and and also queried and questioned us on certain on certain decisions that we've made about about referencing and things like that. So, you know, is this the right thing to say? Should we be talking about this here? Um, we'd actually talked about a particular president, and um, and actually they they changed that name out because um, they said that actually that dates the book, and um, so that was an interesting kind of um, thing that we hadn't thought about because um, actually lots of the things now in the book um, mean that it doesn't matter when it's read, so it, it would be equally as current in a few years' time. Um, and then printing, oh. so printing and printing costs are fascinating. It costs almost as much as I'm, I don't know, I'm sure people who listen to your podcast know, but it costs almost as much to publish 10 books as it costs to publish a thousand. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, they, the difference is, is getting it set up and actually having the ability to print it. So, 
yeah I don't have a thousand um of the little museum because we've nearly sold them all which is amazing but I did have a thousand arrive in my house and was thinking what am I Where going to do with these they're nearly all gone <laughs> yeah because the typesetting is beautiful really beautiful and yeah there's sort of the as you say the the two-page illustrations um and the way that it's all paginated is very very gorgeous um and it's nice to know that you did have a a team essentially even though you're self-publishing this is something I think we talk about a lot that self-publishing unless you happen to have an extraordinary set of skills combining many many different things it's very difficult to do your own self-publishing probably as difficult to do your own self-publishing as it is to do your own I don't know appendectomy yes <laughs> So if people want to get a hold of a copy of this before Easter holidays, before they go to either France or Spain, where is the best way of getting hold of Extraordinary Travellers? So for me, it would be from my website. We have a link on Mini Travellers on the homepage directly to buy both books. And you can buy both books um, from me directly. But you can buy them on Waterstones website and you can buy them on Amazon and um uh, and that's obviously fine to do, even though I've just said that Amazon takes all the money. <laughs> I'm very aware that it's very easy to buy books on Amazon and I would never try and put people off buying them. So um, for me, the website, but actually, um, yeah, Waterstones and uh, Amazon as well. Fantastic. Well, if you want to add an extra dimension of fun and curiosity and a feeling of understanding and cultural insight for your kids and for you too, I highly recommend uh, The Clock Thief, which is set in Spain, and The Little Museum, which is set in France. And I cannot wait for Italy. Uh, go to minitravelers.co.uk. And if you have a look under the Extraordinary Travelers uh, part of the website, you can also see some gorgeous activities that carry has shared uh, that look like the exact type of thing to do on a plane or on the Eurostar to pass the time. Uh, I myself will be doing the word search because I'm a big fan of word searches. So take a look at minitravellers.co.uk. And thank you so much to Karen for joining us. Thank you for having me. Enjoy your Easter holidays and we'll see you after Easter for Nonfic Pod. rating, reviewing and sharing Nonfic Pod. Every little helps to build our audience and that means we get to share fantastic non-fiction with more people just like you. And it helps us to keep bringing you the greatest authors and the hottest reads. 